everyone, and welcome to the 22nd episode of Slime Time Side Quest, an official Dragon's Den podcast. This is Platy M3. Mm, and Yoda, this is. God damn it, Yoda. Star Wars was the last episode. Get out of here. <laughs> Leave, I will not, new co host I am. Now we talk of the force and tasty food. Mm. Oh, oh. Hey, hey, what I tell you, you little green pest, get out of here. Get out. Shoot, shoot, go Oh, chase me away you can, but leave forever, I will not. Yangus, Yangus, you still there? Everything okay on your end? <sighs> yeah, uh, yes, sorry about all that. Um, you know, ever since that Star Wars episode we just did, I can't get rid of that guy. Just Yoda won't leave. Yeah, sorry to hear that. I mean, have you tried calling the, uh, IPC to help get rid of him? The IPC? Yeah, you know, intergalactic pest control. Wait, that's a real thing? Of course. I mean, if you watch Star Trek, you would know all about it. But that has... Platy, you know that Yoda has nothing to do with Star Trek. Okay, well, glad we've got that problem resolved for Yangus then. Now then, let's get to the topic of tonight's episode. Uh, sure, but um, uh, everyone, keep, keep your eyes peeled for uh, any little green men running around. Like Martians? Well, I mean, Yoda might be considered a Martian, but, you know, we, I probably shouldn't mention his name too much. He might show up again. Uh, yeah, the whole Bloody Mary thing. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, tonight we have decided to try something a little different. Um, we decided rather than picking just a specific console or series, uh, we we're going to pick a year. And if you listen to the last Slime Time Prime episode just a couple days ago, we had on two of the most prolific hosts of the Retro Encounter podcast from RPGFan.com, Mike Solosi and Alana Hags. And one thing that they love doing on their podcast is playing games. And they had this one where uh, they were voting on a bunch of different best of. They've had a couple different best of episodes. And once they voted for the best year of RPGs. And I remember listening to that like a year ago and just hearing so many RPGs in those years that, I mean, they, they were arguing over years and they're like, yeah, but this one had this, 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 this. I was like, holy cow, there was a lot of good RPGs that year. Um, I thought we could do a whole episode just on certain years. And since we're not just about RPGs, of course, there's even that like doubles, triples, quadruples, the number of great games that get released yearly that we could talk about. So we, you know, did a little magic, spun a wheel, put our finger on the calendar and chose the lucky year 1993. Wow, what an unbelievable coincidence. That's the year I was born. Yeah, real coincidence there. Okay. You can't see it, but I just thumbed up and smiled at the camera. <laughs> I'm sure you did. <laughs> anyway, well, that's picking my uh, sophomore year of high school, 1993. All of us were tasked to choose a game or two for tonight's episode that came out in 1993 somewhere. And to help us party like it's 1993, we've got some returning guests with us tonight, as always. We've got Pendy. It's a tr- I mean, do a barrel roll. We'll be rolling <laughs> some barrels tonight. Brother Jaybird. Hello, hello. Hello. We've got Austin Erevar. Hello, hello, hello. All right, everybody. We ready to do this? Thank Nobody's you. ready to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody was waiting for you know who to show up again, but we're not... No, no, no more Yoda. No told, more Yoda. Hey, don't mention his name. What I tell you? <laughs> All right, going with the other Y name person, Yangus. I will let you choose. I know I usually am like the horrible pun introduction 
whatever. <laughs> yeah, you can just start laughing because I got nothing for this one. But Yangus, I'm going to let you, since you had nothing to do with the year that we picked, mm-hmm. I'm going to let you pick whoever goes first tonight. Well, I think since someone else tried to make a reference to our last episode like I did, I think we're going to call on Pendy first to talk about uh, his first game that he has listed. So why don't you roll in roll in here, Pendy, and tell us all about your discussion. Get the ball rolling, one might say. Yeah, yeah, you know, get it rolling, kind of like a barrel. <laughs> something something to do with barrels and rolling, I, I guess. I mean, I but, assume uh, you're talking about Donkey Kong in some fashion, right? He throws barrels, they roll, you know? Oh, that's true. No, 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 it's not. But for this game, we are going to do a barrel roll. Why? Because Peppy told us to do one. That's why. Because this is Star Fox for the Super Nintendo. That's the game I'm doing here tonight or tomorrow. Tomorrow or whatever day it is. I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> so if you aren't familiar with it, Star Fox is a popular series for Nintendo, which is a 3D rail shooter. It came out in Japan, North America, and Europe in February, March, and June of 1993. It was the first use of polygonal graphics by Nintendo and powered by their new Super FX chip. Uh, Shigeru Miyamoto was one of the main game designers, and he cites uh, Star Wars X-Wings and some Tori gates that were nearby Nintendo HQ as some of the inspirations for the game design. So, for example, uh, all the different gates that you go through in the game, like uh, those are kind of inspired by the like, kind of the, the square-shaped Tori gates that you see at uh, Japanese shrines. So you star as Fox McCloud, leader of the Star Fox mercenary team, tasked with taking down the evil scientist Andros in your trusty prototype fighter aircraft. You also have your teammates Slippy, Falco, and Peppy. Uh, in this particular game of the series, they would be voiced later on, but in this one, in the Super Nintendo game, uh, I love the little voices that they use. They just use, like, little sounds. So, like, uh, Star Fox would be like, ba da ba da ba da and then Slippy would, like, would kind of sound like a toad, like, D-d-d-d-d. and then uh, Falco has, for some reason, has this really deep voice. So his is more like a has a echo to it, and it's it's really fun. Uh, but in this case, you had uh, three various routes to get to the final boss that you could choose, each with its own difficulty. Uh, depending on the stage, you would get to fly your aircraft in a third person or first person view to fly around in. And sometimes you'd see both perspectives. So, for example, uh, when you do one of the space stages early on, you would start out in the first-person view, but you would switch to a third-person view as you flew in and fought your way through various battleships and things of that nature. Uh, At the end of each stage, there would be a boss who would have strategic weak points that you would need to take out to win. You can break, boost, shoot a basic laser, shoot a high-energy bomb, turn sideways or tap that L or R button twice to deflect basic laser attacks, sorry, basic laser attacks with, you guessed it, a barrel roll. Uh, there was a lot of variety between the different paths you could take and a lot of secret secrets and bonus stages that you could find. Uh, this game had a lot of replayability. The N64 sequel is my favorite of the series, and that's actually where that whole barrel roll uh, meme comes from because Peppy tells you to do a barrel roll and it became... Very famous after that. But this game is still a fantastic entry in it. It has a fantastic level and enemy boss designs that will keep you engaged the whole way through the game. The, co- the controls are very intuitive. The game is very exciting, fun, and well-paced. Uh, I highly w- recommend this to anyone who joys- enjoys a good action game. And by the way, if you've never done it before, 
do yourself a favor and type do a barrel roll in Google and see what you get. So for everybody here, have you played this particular uh, game in the series or have you played any of the others? And what do you think? I have played a little bit of this one. I, I, my start to Star Fox was back on the N64. I rented the uh, Star Fox 64 once when I was a kid. But I ended up playing uh, Star the original Star Fox for the first time when Nintendo re-released, uh, or not re-released, excuse me, when they put out the uh, Super Nintendo Mini. And then with that one, too, they also included the previously unreleased Star Fox 2, which was uh, pretty cool. But yeah. I, I'm like you, Pandy. I absolutely just loved that the voices were pretty much the characters going like... <laughs> <laughs> just the, my favorite had to be Foxes because him sounds like he's going like dab, 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 dab. yeah yeah that's they're they're fantastic it was, it was, they didn't they had a little bit of voice acting in it but for the most part they just like would show text and have little little uh, voice effects it was they were fun mm-hmm. it's almost like uh, in the Dragon Quest games where like you'd get a different pitch of a sound depending on who was talking like you'd get a, a lower pitch for like bigger muscly guys and a higher pitch for the female characters and stuff like that but taken to a, a, a whole new level. It was, it was nice. Yeah, it is kind of like that. I didn't, I didn't yeah. even think about that comparison, but you're absolutely right. Because really, like, Dragon Quest is one of the few series that I can think of that does that sort of effect, you know, with even what's just, like, NPCs talking to you, where they, like, exactly. change the pitch depending on the age of the character, so to speak, or, like, the appearance of the character. Yeah, it's a nice little detail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A little just way back then that they could actually do something. uh uh-huh. <laughs> Does Super Smash Brothers count as a Star Fox game? <laughs> no. <laughs> I think that's my most experience with uh, the cast as well. Because I, I I know at least the first one, the 64 version, is a Star Fox game. All the professionals tell me so. <laughs> but um, my, my experience with Star Fox starts and ends with the Nintendo 64 title, so I couldn't weigh in very much about... Uh, the original uh, 93 version. If I recall correctly, the 93 version is featuring uh, the dad, Star Fox. The Nintendo 64 version has his son. Oh, you know, that's a good question. I didn't look into that. I'm not sure. No, it's it's the same Fox. Is okay. it? Uh, yeah, the, the story with James McCloud, Peppy, and, and Pigma O'Hare, that was like years before any of the events of any of the Star Fox games. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't played it uh I haven't played all the Star Fox games yet, so I wasn't sure. But that's cool. Yeah, there's the uh, and the N64 game was was fun because you could do. Uh, there's not just the R wing, but the other various vehicles as well. I've also played the uh, the DS game, but I haven't played them all yet. One day, one day I will do more barrel rolls. <laughs> I've played um, the 64 version as a remake. They made the remake for the 3DS a few years ago, as I recall. Uh, that was that was a good that was a good way to spend a morning doing a whole run on the game, not not my uh, kind of thing personally, but it was it was a good way to spend a morning. That that game, uh, if it's the one I I think you're you're talking about, had a fantastic uh, multiplayer option to it too. It was a lot of fun to you just fight each other and you could make some of the other ones uh, uh, powered by the PC and fight them as well so just have a nice little dog fight with everybody it was it's there's some kind of neat tricks you could employ to to go after everybody and you could not only uh battle each other in the r-wing but you could battle each other in the tank and some other stuff so you could do multiple vehicle uh battles against each other that's great mm-hmm. nice 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 i do know that in the european release of 
uh, Star Fox 64. They did include a voice option so the characters would talk more like um, their original Super Nintendo selves, but they didn't include oh, really? that. Yeah, they didn't include that in the North American version, though, for some uh, that's, reason. That's awesome. But it's it's a pretty good recreation of um like what the what the old ones sound like too, because like Fox will now sound like more like he's going like. <laughs> but you, you'll have to look up some uh, gameplay footage on YouTube if you can for the European version of uh, Star Fox 64. But it, it's it's a funny little detail. It's it's funny that they added that in. Yeah, I'll look that up. Alrighty, sounds like we're wrapping up that, and I'm gonna butt right in with one of my games because if we're talking about flying through space, might as well uh, continue that uh, continue that trend. Um, first, I am going to give a little shout out to that little green Y dude that we've talked about. Um, it won't summon his name, but if you listen to the last episode, I brought up the first X-Wing game that came out for PCs and that game was a great flight simulator, had awesome Star Wars graphics, um, started the whole flight simulator, Star uh, Star Wars simulators that went on to be TIE Fighter, and now they've got X-Wing Squadron games and the like. But the original X-Wing game that I talked about last year, um, or last episode of SideQuest, came out in 1993. So we'll go into all that again, but when we were looking up 93 games, I was like, hey, I, just, I actually just talked about one. But can you do uh, a barrel roll in that game? Probably. Nice. I, I, I don't see why not. You're in the middle of space. Nice. Spin on all three axes Fantastic. if you need to. Um, but a game that I couldn't do a barrel roll in because I never got the hang of the controlling combat by itself. Uh, the one I was going to talk about tonight uh, was Master of Orion. And this is the game that actually coined the term 4X Games. Uh, there was an article in Computer Gaming World um, in the fall of 1993 when this game came out, previewing it. And 4X games, these are games like Civilization, where you're just trying to conquer or befriend everybody around you. And the 4Xs stand for Explore, because you're expanding out from usually, you, for at least this game, you start on one little planet. You're exploring the galaxy, expand, getting new territory, new settlements. Um, influence all around exploit because you're using resources from planets and the like and exterminate meaning that you're attacking other civilizations aliens and the like um, nowadays there's tons of 4x games and Aust you talked about one about a year ago I believe yeah yes Dolores which is as I understand uh, heavily inspired by Master of Orion mm-hmm so I picked up uh, the original Master of Orion last month, knowing that we were going to talk about this because I must have sunk a couple hundred hours into the sequel back when I was in high school. Loved Master of Orion 2. Um, and a lot of 4X games claim that to be one of their inspirations. Um, whew, Master of Orion, though, was a little bit rough from having played more modern games and you know the newer civilizations and stuff like that going back to this you can see the roots but whoa it, i played for a couple hours and was just like oh my god something happened something dear god just <laughs> <laughs> go on can, can a race find me because i surely can't produce colony ships fast enough to get far enough away and actually find other races probably uh my uh, fault for picking such a large galaxy size when i started the game off originally but basically uh when you start a game of master of orion 
you get to pick what race you are. And I think this one's got like seven or eight different races and each race comes with their own bonus. I picked a, uh, I think it was a reptilian race that had quite the population bonus. Like I, they bred 20% faster than anybody else. And I was like, Oh, that'll be great. I'll just get a lot more territory, a lot more planets and everything. Um, and of course I'm thinking about this in a more modern setting. So I was like, yeah, tons of planets, tons of everything. Well, that didn't really happen. So picked a large galaxy, picked to have like four computer opponents, picked uh, this race, and you start off, you're dumped on a single planet, and you've got a colony ship, got a couple little uh, of the smallest combat ships there are, and you start growing. You can send out your colony ships, you can start exploring nearby stars, uh, started a little colony on the nearest habitable planet to mine. And one of the first things I noticed is each star system, when you go there, it's either got a planet or not, like period one. Um, when I played Master of Orion 2, there could be like whole planetary four or five, six planets in a star system, and you could just have a whole empire growing up from one star system. Uh, the first one, pretty basic, just got one planet in each star system that might be habitable. And something I found that was interesting, because a lot of these games you have, uh, you're researching new technologies, either to get faster ships or better armament ships or, you know, ways to terraform planets or more efficient factories. You're always building something. Um, the research angle is always going on. Something that was kind of cool in this one, though, because um, a lot of the other Forex games I've played, you pick what you want to research and you do that one research and takes a few turns. And then it's done. This one, you could pick five different research options at once um, in five different categories. You could like planetary this or ships this and you'd pick five different things to research and you could use little sliding bars to see how fast, you know, did you want to put all your research into one or did you want to split your research equally so that you were constantly working on five different things? Um, in a couple hours, I did not get through very much. I decided to try to leave them uh spread out a bit um yeah that's that's but, pretty different from like yeah some of the newer forex games i've played mm -hmm. yeah I, and then of course by leaving it split up I, I said i'd go like 10 11 12 turns and there would be no research happening i'm like geez is anything gonna go on and then i look and it's like oh i've researched 20 percent of all of these <laughs> so that didn't help at all um so I, I guess that's something they decided to improve upon going on and a lot of games from there having gone back to this um i will say my home planet the population boomed really fast i love that I, I just kept shipping off extra population to my new colony and filled up my two colonies really fast and uh after that it just i had to wait forever to make a new colony ship took and i had like a huge planet with 20 million population or whatever it was counted in um, or was a hundred million or something like that, whatever the max population was, it filled up in about 10 turns. And then it was like, geez, what do I do? I like <laughs> jacking up my production and something else that I'd missed from an earlier game like this. There were no like structures to build. Uh, I know in a lot of the other games I've played, you know, you, you, like, heck in civilization, you build a granary, you yeah. build, um, a library to increase your research. You build this, you build that on your home planet. This Again, there, there wasn't those kind of options. Again, there was little sliding bars. You could uh, put the production on your planet either into factories, but that kind of just did production overall, made you some extra money. Uh, you could put it into defense structures or shipbuilding. 
Um, you could build missile bases to protect your planets. You could build more ships. At one point, I was like building a small warship like every other turn and just kind of sending them off to be as far away as the game would let me. Um, at the time, I think I could go like seven or eight parsecs. So there's about a half dozen planets that I could at least, or a half dozen systems, not that many of them had planets, but at least keep a small defense ship there just in case anybody else showed up. Um, the colony ships were taking forever, 20, 30, 40 turns. And it had a little countdown there. It was like, hey, this will take 63 years to build. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? Because presumably every time you hit next turn, um, that's a year in the game time. And it was going down about two to three years as my population was growing. But at one point, you know, I, once the population topped out, it was like, okay, this is still going to take 30 more turns to build another colony ship. Oh, my God, it's so slow. Um, I so only had like, to change. There's no way to, like, speed up uh, time progression. I could not find one. And that's something else I remember for a bunch of different games. Like, basically, you know, hit that, go to the next turn that something important happens. Yeah. Like, go to the next turn that either you encounter someone or a ship reaches a planet or whatever. I wish I could have done that. Like, I needed to skip, like, 20 turns ahead at some points. Just, like, <laughs> faster, faster, faster. Um, and again, this is, you know, a 28-year-old game at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, the graphics, pure mid-90s PC, DOS, they, they were pretty cool for the time period. I mean, they don't... Looking at that, I don't remember them being horrible for the time period because yeah. I, I mean i played master of ryan 2 which came out like a year and a half later um wasn't super any better but uh, i mean it, it had a lot of what you would expect from a 4x game but man it was the bare bones you, you know this was the yeah. uh th this was the dragon warrior one of the uh genre yeah you, you can see all the little stuff but you know it, it was like a one person rpg it was you know not as many options still yep. seeing what they were doing so at the time i could see it was pretty cool um but i got this on gog for like six dollars and i got one and two bundled together and <laughs> i can tell you i will not start this one again i will probably play around with masters of ryan too because just the number of options in that like blooms in just a couple short years yeah, that makes sense that it's uh, so bare bones, though. There was like basically the first one. Mm -hmm. it, I think uh, it, they had done something a little. Uh, I was trying to think. There was some star game before it that they like the same company had done. Uh, I'm trying to think what it was. Look on there. You know, looking at the word star, Star Lords. That's it. There was a game called Star Lords that had just come out a couple years before that was even more basic, but this was a uh, iteration of. But. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely one I want to play around with just um, to see where we've come from because I love mm -hmm. 4X. Like I, I I've played Civilization, I've played Stellaris, I've played a bunch of the Civilization like knockoffs. Like there's a there's a fantasy version. Uh, the, I mean you know it's it's a huge genre with tons and tons of like uh, copycat games out there that all bring their own uh, uh, their own little flavor to it. But I've never actually played like some of the old, you know, 90s ones before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I said, I played Masters of Ryan 2 forever. I think when I first got an iPad like eight years ago um, and I was like, I don't want to play games on my iPad. Mm. But you know what? I've never had an iPad before. Like what's out there? I think I spent five dollars on a game called like Orion that basically tried to copy Masters of Orion 2 yeah. in an iPad game. And that was fun. I mean, it worked great as a touchscreen, you know, turn-based yeah. thing. It 
I mean, even eight years ago on an iPad, it, you know, these things were running on 1993 systems. So it's not like the, uh, the graphics or the uh, gameplay had to be so good. I did one or two little battles um, in the battle engine and really had a hard time trying to control my ships and making it do what I wanted. But that was a problem for me even back on Master of Orion 2. I used to just... I remember playing around with that for a couple times that I played through it, and probably 98% of the time afterwards, I was just like, no, 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 auto combat. I'll just, you know, I'll build a big fleet and let the RNG decide. <laughs> and it it was just whoever had the bigger fleet, it was fine. Yeah. Um, I mean, for, for people that want to get into, like, strategic space naval battles, that that's there, but whew, it's rough. So basically it's just bare bones and slow it's not necessarily that it's hard to understand oh no yeah i mean i I knew what i was doing immediately from playing i mean i played the original civilization um which was around this time as well um i think a couple years earlier this i was looking at reviews of this game and a couple of the very early reviews were like oh it's like civilization but in space yeah well it's already got a leg up over uh stellaris then because paradox uh games are notorious for being um used uh, non-intuitive i guess uh, mm-hmm. tutorial light uh which uh stellaris and uh crusader kings 3 like their most recent games are probably the the easiest to get into of all their games so it's uh if like i said master of orion's already got you know that <laughs> that puts that ahead of it in terms of uh, comparison to stellaris and i mean you know it part of it is i put hundreds of hours into the sequel and yeah. i've played many other games so i mean i don't it, it's hard to say like did i know how to do that because the game pointed me towards it or i expected that feature to be there so of course it was i can't imagine there would be much in the way of tutorial in a, on a dos game uh no usually they were limited in space and it was know, in the instruction manual right exactly i'm sure <laughs> I, d- I didn't download that, but it came with the uh, GOG stuff, as a lo- most of them do. I mean, those old games, you pretty much have to have the instruction manual uh, for... for uh, Like, even just the... I've played a lot of the Sierra Adventure games, and mm-hmm. if you want to know the story, like, the opening cutscene is in the manual. Yep. Oh, no, yeah. that For all that text that they would have to put in, Yeah. they saved that for their graphics, and... Uh, exactly. They needed every bit of space back then. Well, since, uh, Austin, you've been uh, joining me on talking about 4X games, uh, we will leave outer space, but uh, take some uh, interesting twists and turns through galaxies and dimensions or whatever, and uh, talk about your game that you wanted to talk about. Sure. So uh, the game I picked technically did come out in 1993, uh, came out on the Mac in 93, which... uh, Anyone who was a gamer, uh, a Mac gamer in the 90s should probably immediately know what I'm talking about because there were like, what, five games on the Mac back in the 90s? <laughs> if, if that. Yeah. If. Um, but yeah, uh, so uh, this game, Mist, was a graphic adventure game. It was a puzzle game. Came out in 1993 on the Mac, and then about six months later in 94, it came out on PC, which is where it got its main audience, I believe. Uh, But it was technically a Mac game first. It was developed by um, a a pair of brothers, Robin and Rand Miller. Um, They, uh, I think they they owned the company Cyan that developed it. Uh, At the very least, they wrote all of the material for it and designed the game. Um, It was was actually... uh, a driving factor in 
uh, widespread adoption of the CD-ROM drive because at the time, you know, games primarily came on floppy disks and it was getting to the point where, you know, the newest game would, would take would span 17 to 20 different floppy disks. You can only hold like a, you know, a megabyte and a half on one. So uh, this was the one of the, I mean, they were one of the first um, CD-ROM games to come out at the time that shortly after this they, they started becoming more and more popular um but uh they decided to take advantage of the cd-rom to uh add things like um f- uh, full motion video segments with actual actors uh playing characters in the game and uh in this game some of those segments weren't very long and were very very low resolution obviously but um they uh, still at the time like that was that was mind-blowing i was probably too young to really appreciate that when i played it but uh i remember my dad being really impressed and and uh aside from that like the the art style was uh generate was computer generated but um it just you, you didn't see much like that i guess at the time you know you were still moving out of blocky pixelated graphics from the 80s and here we had these beautiful, immersive, first-person, you know, computer-generated landscapes that you, you know, you, you didn't move around in real time. You just pointed, clicked, and clicked, and basically clicked through a side slideshow. And uh, there was some interaction with the environment, obviously, to solve puzzles and such. But uh, when you really think about it, it, it wasn't much more than a slideshow with FMV segments and, and music added to it. But, um, uh Every time I come back to this game, like I I uh, I remember most of the puzzles, but then I'll remember something uh, wrong and I'll spend like an hour trying to figure out why it's not working right. Uh, looking at it from an objective point of view uh, as a gamer from 2021, this game does not give you any direction, it feels like. <clears throat> oh, there's none. <laughs> yeah. I remember playing this. It was a blank slate. Yeah, uh, I can only imagine how my dad my like my i remember my father beat this game on his own i remember this is 1993 we didn't have internet in our house uh i mean nobody really did uh i'm sure there was a strategy guide but he didn't have it because i don't think it existed when we got the game um i'm sure at some point he called one of the the paid hint lines that every (laughs) video game company had back then um, but he, for the most part, he made it through the game himself with a little, little notebook that was included in the box. And I remember looking at that notebook and seeing all of his notes and like puzzle diagrams drawn out. And <clears throat> thinking of it now, like he's not a gamer by any means. And I'm kind of impressed that he, he had the um, patience to, to work through this game all the way to the end and, you know, beat it. Because uh, coming back to it now, like, I, even even knowing like maybe half the puzzles like getting started sometimes I don't have the the patience to <laughs> to really get the game going uh, because if if you don't like reading you're probably not going to like this game because there are tons of in-game books and you have to sort of search for um, solutions to some of the puzzles and, and hints throughout some of these books and stuff but the uh, the world building for it to me has always been like the the coolest thing about Mist and, and its sequels. It, it has some of the most unique world building of any game that I've I've played, especially from that time period. Did you read any of the novelizations? I have not yet. I do intend to. At least I don't know how well written they are, but I know they're written by the creators. But I do intend. They to were. Read them. They were awesome. I read because there were three that came out. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, they were amazing. They were they the world building. You're right. It was just absolutely amazing. Yeah, uh, I, I read them a couple times each in college. I remember. I'll I'll definitely uh, get around to reading those because it's like I said, it's a it's a world I've always been fascinated by. And even if I don't have the patience to work through the entire franchise of the games, um, mm-hmm. like I, I do find myself sometimes like pulling up a lore video I missed just listening to some of the like because it, it gets so deep and there's so much of it. It's just hidden behind a very obtuse pu- uh, puzzle mechanic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I never played any of the other games and I never beat it. But I remember, you know, there were nights like my cool girlfriend and I would just sit up in college like, OK, we're going to try to beat this tonight. <laughs> we remember we remember a lot of the early puzzles. Let's do this. And no, we failed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know I've worked my way through the end, but it was using my dad's notebook and mm-hmm. I was I was really young. So, like, if I got impatient when I was young, I, I would just look up stuff. I wouldn't try to figure it out on my own like I usually do with, with games now. Um, so I. I don't know if that counts as beating it or not. And I've seen I've seen the ending. I've seen all that the game has to offer. And, you know, it's just super immersive, super cool atmosphere. I played a little bit of Riven, but, man, I get it. That's the sequel. I haven't. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't get like farther than like I'll spend like an, a couple hours in it. And I just I don't get very far in it. It's I, I should just look up like some hints to get me past those stumbling blocks. But I always feel guilty about that later. Oh, and um, there is, I did want to mention this game has been ported and remade more times than Doom or Skyrim. Like, it puts all the memes about Skyrim to shame. (laughs) I think it's it's been on the DS, the 3DS, it's been on all the consoles. Um, It's on all the mobile platforms. mm -hmm. It's on Switch now. There's a version on Switch. And it just... Yeah, it just got remade again. This version is not on Switch, but it just got remade again. It's on Steam, GOG. I think it's on Xbox Game Pass. Um, And it has a VR component that you can uh, play it in VR, although I don't know how well note-taking would would go if you're wearing a VR headset. But uh, it would be really cool to, like, be immersed in the this island uh, in VR, seeing as it's a place I grew up with. Yeah, I mean... Thinking about how the game is, that's it's perfect for VR. Yeah. So here's a qu- so here's a question for you guys then, since you know about this game so well and all the ports it has. Did you know that there's a parody version of this game called Pissed? Yes. You did. <laughs> I did know okay, I'm glad no. you do. <laughs> uh, yeah, look up videos of it. It's pretty hilarious. I remember my my mom buying this when I was a kid and seeing it, and uh, strangely enough, it has John Goodman in it. I know that's the that is definitely one of the most surprising things about it. Yeah, and he even has a song that he sings at the end of the game. (laughs) It's so, but I didn't think it was weird when I was a kid because I guess I didn't really think about John Goodman being, you know, who he is, and I just don't know how they got him for that game. I know. (laughs) I'll have to try and remember to send you guys in the video in the video or in the. Uh, voice chat i'll have to send you a link to a video that goes over that game because it's it's an interesting little watch it's terrible like it's it's genuinely like (laughs) it's very lowbrow parody like it's not even clever parody (laughs) but Mm -hmm. it's it's uh it's interesting to look at especially considering it has john goodman in it yeah i was gonna say i'm not surprised it has so many uh, ports over the years because i remember back in the day uh, how just insanely popular it got. It, it got so much hype after it got released. There were so many people that were into this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I said, it it, it made uh, the CD drive like the most, it, it put it on the map. 
Nice. All right. Brother Jaybird, you've got a few games you want to uh, go over. You want to pick one and start? I do. Um, this was a last-minute panic selection <laughs> 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 to round out my to round out my um, oh yeah to round out my to round out my original selection because I realized when I was looking over um, things that my choice was actually redundant, and so I needed a couple of things to talk about that weren't what I was originally going to talk about because. Uh, Matt Kraft was originally going to take one, but I'm afraid uh, we just got noticed that he's not going to make it tonight. And mm-hmm. so I'll just steal from his material instead. There you uh, go. So for the first one, it's uh, Kirby's Adventure, uh, the 1993 installment of the franchise, uh, one of Nintendo's mainstay franchises, which is always nice. Um, Kirby came out in the 90s. It was It was... I wouldn't call it. It was an interesting little platformer for the Game Boy, um, featuring uh, you know a, a circle with arms with uh, arms and leg feet, not legs, feet. Uh, no hands, no legs, but arms and feet. Uh, on his on his own quest to get food back from an evil. Well, I don't know. Would you call King DDD a penguin? Is King DDD officially a penguin? I don't think he is. He just looks like one. Yeah, he just looks, looks like one. Go with wow. the robe and the hat. He's, he's, he's a, a quote unquote penguin. He, he's a DDD. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was a pretty simple adventure. Um, so it's it's kind of like a watered down idea of Mario instead of Bowser capturing the princess. Uh, it's DDD is capturing the food. And Kirby, he likes food for himself, so he goes after it and shares the joy. Uh, much, much beating up ensues. So that was the basic premise of Kirby. Kirby's adventure took that premise and decided to just start dumping in lore out of all the... All, uh, <laughs> That completely changes the the premise of Kirby's entire setting. The story of Kirby's adventure is instead of DDD stealing the food again, there's a crisis in the in the country of Dreamland, and that crisis is that nobody can dream. We're not entirely sure how they all figured out how they can't dream, but they can't dream, and that's a problem. And they go and investigate, and it turns out that the sacred relic, the Fountain of Dreams. At the center of Dreamland, most important thing that gives everyone the ability to, be, to dream has stopped working. And why has it stopped working? Well, it's because the central star, the central uh, item in the relic, the the battery and source of its power, the star rod, has been broken. Well, who broke it? DDD, because of course DDD did. And what is DDD doing with the broken star rod? Well, he gave it to all his friends. And what is he doing in the meantime? Well, he's using the Fountain of Dreams as his own personal pool, which is, you know, the look you you really want to go for when you ruin everybody's lives. So Kirby goes on his adventure to uh, restore the star rod by going and beating up all, all of DDD's friends once again uh, to, get, <laughs> to get the sacred relics back. And then put them together. Um, that would be the basic premise of the game. Big, big step forward in the lore, adding a adding a bit of extra fantasy to the title, um, to the series. Um, it also introduces very notably a character called Meta Knight, um, who made waves back in the day for basically be for. Well, this is going to be a spoiler, but it was twenty years ago, and everybody who knows. And like basically anything about Meta Knight recognizes this. Meta Knight was interesting because he would, by turns, 
help Kirby out by often use, there would be segments in the gameplay where he would throw you an invincible candy and let you just run through an entire field of enemies untouched. And then at the same time, he would turn around and sick his own minions on you and expect you to fight them all. And this would culminate ultimately in a boss battle against Meta Knight during the second to last uh, world Orange Ocean. And if you beat Meta Knight, uh, it's revealed that he is in fact another, for all intents and purposes, he might as well be another member of Kirby's species. Uh, which was fairly revolutionary for its time because the Kirby species is actually very minimal. They're only even here we are, what is it, 30 years on since Kirby, uh, almost 30 years now since Kirby's Dreamland came out. Um, and there's still like maybe four or five, somewhere between three and I think five different members of Kirby's species, depending on how you count uh, count them. And the last three may or may not be one person, depending on who you talk to. <laughs> um, so this introduced Meta Knight. Uh, this introduced the Fountain of Dreams. This also introduced the series tradition of going very suddenly cosmic at the end um, of each game. Because once you put the Star Rod back together and vanquish DDD, we're treated to a little opening cinematic in which DDD, in a panic, begs Kirby from the bottom of his heart not to install the Star Rod back into the Fountain of Dreams, not to solve the problem. And Kirby is just not listening to him because why would you listen to him? DDD broke things, decided to use it as a personal pool, and then fought Kirby. No one explains things to Kirby, so Kirby very clearly he decides to fix the problem as he sees it. So he puts the star rod back in, and oop, out pops a demon. DDD, master communicator. So the final, the, the true final boss of the game is, for all intents and purposes, uh, a sorcerer demon called Nightmare, who was sealed away in the Fountain of Dreams, which was why DDD broke the star rod to prevent him from getting in and out. Um... So Kirby must use the Star Rod to vanquish uh, this evil sorcerer in a in a really quite impressive uh, battle in the sky. Kirby, DDD basically sends Kirby to the moon to have this fight, and it's a very interesting uh, sequence. But it also, um, but what's really notable about it is that this is like the first step Kirby takes into the cosmic mythology that it eventually develops over time. Um, the first really cosmic encounter and threat. So this was Kirby's large first step into a larger world. And that is basically the game that starts laying the foundations of Kirby's overall lore. I still have yet to play more than a couple hours of any Kirby game. It, uh, I've been so, Dreamland so, too, but I haven't played many of the others. So is Adventure for the Super NES or the NES? Adventure is for the Nintendo Entertainment System NES, but there was a remake for the Game Boy Advance called Nightmare in Dreamland, which was actually my first exposure to the title. Um, my history with Kirby starts during the N64 age. Uh, we would rent uh, Kirby 64, the Crystal Shards, um, mm. from Blockbuster and play that a lot. Uh, I did not own a personal Kirby game until Nightmare in Dreamland which was the remake of this game. And it was interesting going back and seeing, you know, what's changed in the series mythology between the two versions. Because Kirby's Adventure has a lot, has the prototypical elements that would become common to Kirby's. It's the first game, for example, with copy abilities. Uh, Kirby's iconic enemy 
um, imitation feature where he, well, for all intents and purposes, doesn't merely eat his enemies like, like he does in Dreamland. This is how Kirby solves his problems. He eats them. Kirby eats his problems away. Um, but no, this we time all. he get, yeah, this time he gets something back for it. <laughs> so um, the copy ability, Kirby's copy ability, much like contemporary uh, video game uh, old school star Mega Man would, he would copy enemy abilities and get to use them. But unlike uh, Mega Man, instead of beating bosses for boss abilities, Kirby could do it from basically anyone. Uh, any particular enemy could give him a power. And so um, people who are familiar with the modern Kirby franchise will emit, will recognize, oh, Kirby ate a fire enemy. He gets the fire power. People, um, oh, he ate um, a water or an ice enemy. He gets an ice power or a spark enemy. He gets spark powers. Um, though if you're young enough, you probably came into the series post-Nightmare in Dreamland where there was a big overhaul of the art and style of Kirby. Nightmare in Dreamland and the contemporary Kirby anime from like the early aughts, the early 2000s, um, made a very specific gimmick where each new power Kirby got would give him a hat, a little uh, tiara, usually a tiara, um, but a hat of some other kind, in which he gets a new he gets to display his ability. So if you get to if he ate a fire enemy and got the fire power, well, he'd have a giant crown of fire roasting on his head or if he got um let me see what was it if he got the hammer ability if he ate a hammer uh, he would get the little um oh gosh what do you call it the little wrapped bandana worn by japanese workmen um i forget what they call it. you see this is something it's a fairly common thing in manga when they when they're depicting um workmen or um certain kinds of salesmen uh, who run stalls i forget the name and i don't wanna, i don't want to get it wrong but it's a little wraparound white and blue thing have you guys ever seen that when you watch anime or manga can't say that i remember that nope <laughs> gosh i must sound like a dope okay well uh let's see but hats essentially is what it is kirby um Starting in the early aughts, the new Kirby franchise would feature Kirby wearing hats. That's not the case in the original Kirby's Adventure, um, with, I think, one exception, actually. Um, that, uh, ironically enough, didn't make it into the, main, um, into the main franchise to date, but I'll get to that in a later point. Um, in the original adventure, Kirby would at most get a color change when he got a new ability. Uh, so, for example, if he ate an ice ability, he would get he would turn blue, and he'd be blue constantly, regardless of wherever setting whatever setting you were in. Um, and another another interesting thing is that um, prototype Kirby was actually a lot goofier than he would be in later days. Uh, starting around again, the phase, the paradigm shift in uh, Nightmare and Dreamland and anime, Kirby was presented as cuter, more babyish. Um, sweeter more enjoyable i would imagine they did this to highlight the dissonance when they finally started throwing the cosmic nightmare bosses at you again <laughs> um but in the original kirby's adventure he was actually a lot goofier uh they often have little segments whenever kirby goes to a new uh stage in these early games in which kirby would have some little uh interaction with the stage a little a little uh skit 
And a lot of these skits in the early days were actually very goofy, in which Kirby was constantly either getting knocked around or goofing up or falling over. Um, there was a status bar in the original adventure that would give you a, an update for whatever was happening to Kirby at the time, if he was swimming, if he was flying, if he was at the goal during the goal thing. Uh, whenever he took damage, his status would be, ouch. And, there, <laughs> and many of his abilities would show these uh, often little panicky uh, expressions as Kirby's powers got the better of him. Uh, tornado, tornado made him dizzy. Uh, burning made, <laughs> burning uh, set him on fire. Um, all sorts of little goofy things, but it, that uh, but this was a big deviation from the cuter uh, standard portrayal we have today, which was actually very interesting. Alrighty, let's move on from one iconic series to another. Yangus, you ready? Yes, I am. Well, you're here to speak of our doom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to keep this going because I, I mean, I've, I started this trend way back a few episodes, so I got to always bring up a game every other one, you know. <laughs> um, before I do that, though, I will just mention real quick. So when we were planning this episode, Platy sent us all a list of games that came out in 1993. And when I was actually looking through the list to figure out ones, ones I wanted to talk about, I'm surprised that I've actually played quite a few of them that have come out from that year, whether it's been on re-releases or from remakes. Uh, a few examples uh, from PC games. There was two from Humongous Entertainment uh, called Pup Butt Goes to the Moon and uh, Fatty Bear's Birthday Surprise. Yeah, I love those games. I almost thought about mentioning uh, Pup Putt when you guys were talking about your space stuff. Just be real quick and be like, hey, that's a game <laughs> from 1993 in space. <laughs> I played but, all of those Humongous games. But yeah, uh, anyway, go ahead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> The, gonna talk the, about those that. would be fun to talk about if we mm-hmm. ever get the chance. But um, uh, I played those ones. Uh, I played like Fantasy Star 4, uh, Romancing Saga 2 originally came out in 1993, even though we, uh, Matt and I, or Platty and I, excuse me, played the remake uh, slash remaster Ugh. last year. Yeah, <laughs> I figured that was going to that response. But when going through the list, I was surprised that there were a number that I played. But the one that I first thought of when we were going to do this episode was actually a game that I share uh, my birthday with. And, well share my birthday month with month with excuse me and that is a uh, super mario all-stars uh, originally came out in august 1993 here in america the I, the date seems to have changed i thought it was originally august 2nd but it currently the date shows it came out august 11th 1993 i don't know which one is the correct release date for it but we'll just you know go with august 1993 uh anyway this is a game that is an early example of an HD remaster slash remake treatment. Uh, Nintendo took all of the original Super Mario Brothers games from the NES era and upgraded them with new graphics, uh, revamped music. They added multiple save files, which is a big godsend. So you don't have to, you know, try and replay all of Super Mario Brothers 3 to get back to where you were. If you can't find the warp whistles, you'll still be able to save your progress and come back to it. Or in like the case of the original Mario Brothers game, you can. And, um, get to like the net you can get to like world 2-1 you can save your game and quit you know turn your console off and when you turn it back on go back to that game hey look you can start right from the beginning of world 2 where you left off at so it's th- there were a lot of nice little tweaks and changes c- to the original NES games for a new generation of uh, players or for people who originally grew up with the NES and wanted to experience these games in a brand new way uh, this was a uh, game included the first western release of Super Mario Brothers 2 which here in the United States was referred to as Super Mario Brothers The Lost Levels. There's a lot of explanations out there that, you know, goes into 
the history of all that. So just just to keep it short, Super Mario Brothers: The Lost Levels is actually Super Mario Brothers 2 that Japan got. We didn't originally get the game in the NES era. We got it on Super Mario All Stars here. So first time we got to experience the original intended Super Mario Brothers 2. If you want to learn more about that, there's tons of articles and videos and all sorts of things on YouTube and elsewhere you can read up about all that history. Uh, anyway, this game, like I said, it came out uh, in August 1993, which was both the same month and the same year that I was born. Again, I'm not really sure on the date, but I've always then joked after finding out about that, that I must have been born to be a Mario fan since I share, uh, almost share a birthday with a Mario game, or I do share with it, again, depending on when it actually came out. Uh, so, are you not the original Yangus? Are you a remake? <laughs> I'm the I'm the Super Nintendo version of Yangus, I guess. Okay. <laughs> but, um... The one uh, that we never also, got in the United States. Yep. Yeah. You <laughs> see, you see, um, I'm actually the older Yangus. The you know younger Yangus. He didn't come over. Oh, or he didn't come out overseas yeah. with that mystery dungeon game. So, so you true. Know. So true. You got me there. Yep. Apparently, I was also a redhead. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> But um, this was actually the first way that I experienced all of the original NES Mario games. Uh, I ended up playing it for the first time at a relative's house when they moved uh, back here to the state of Iowa. Uh, we ended up going to visit them. One of my cousins who uh, was in college at the time, he had left his Super Nintendo at his parents' place. I found they had one and I asked if I could play it. They said, sure. And one of the first games I tried was Super Mario All-Stars. I'm like, hey, cool, a new Mario game. I've never seen this one before. And that was how I first played the original Mario Brothers, played Mario 3, uh, both Mario 2 and the Lost Levels, even though the Lost Levels totally kicked my ass as a kid and still does even as an adult. <laughs> but this was my first hands-on with the original Mario games. And it was main, it was my main way that I got the chance to play them until eventually the Super Nintendo, or excuse me, um, the Game Boy Advance uh, series of Super Mario Advance games came out, which then brought like each of these games, uh, including Yoshi's Island for the Super Nintendo, onto the Game Boy Advance handheld. Uh, this was one... That even though I didn't get a whole lot of chances to play it, I always did enjoy it. And I still have a lot of memories playing it with it or playing the game. And one that I remember in particular was when Mario's 25th anniversary rolled around back in 2010, uh, Nintendo released this uh, game onto the Nintendo Wii along with a booklet and a music soundtrack that would come with it that would show like design documents. It had, you know, sound selections from the different Mario games and different sound effects on the other half of the CD. And this was actually on, on Christmas Day when I got this game. This marked the first time that I beat the original Super Mario Brothers in some form. I had a, very little chances to play it when growing up. You know, again, most of my chances to play it was with Super Mario All-Stars. Never really had any experience with the NES at that point. Never had bought the original off of uh, like the Wii's virtual console or anything. So getting to actually beat that Christmas Day was pretty exciting. Probably seems silly to be excited about that but since it was one of those games that i just had you know always wanted to try and beat it but i could never could because i just never really had the opportunity it was nice to finally get to do that and really i don't have a whole lot else to say about um mario all-stars than i already have i think it's visually a great looking remake of these games has some great music it's my preferred version of or my excuse me my preferred way to play uh, the original Mario games from the NES era. And I definitely would recommend checking it out if you have either, you know, a Super Nintendo collection you're trying to build up, if you have a Nintendo Wii and you can find um, the 25th anniversary release, you know, try and get that. Or if you have a Nintendo Switch, you can play it through the Super Nintendo Online uh, app that the Nintendo has put out if you have the online service. And it's um, 
one that I like what like with Super Mario World, you know, I've talked about some of these other games in past episodes because, you know, I'm, I've, I've joked that I'm the Mario guy, but I really do like this series a lot. And this is one of the games that when I was younger really helped cement that because it let me see, you know, firsthand experience with the original games and, you know, get a good hands on with them. And then eventually, you know, got the Game Boy Advance versions, but getting the chance to, you know, return to the actual uh, collection of them that, you know, got me even more into Mario was really cool when I was a kid. So, yep, don't really have much else to say other than it's a very good collection to check out. And if you're looking to play the original Mario games in some form, you can't go wrong with this collection. Yeah, it's no. it's hard it's hard to say anything bad about it. I think it was the first way I I ever experienced um, the the classic NES titles. I think it's it, it's been the last one I've tried. Um, I think right after Mario Thirty Five went offline back in uh, what is it April. Um, my son was like, oh, man, I liked playing that game. And I was like, well, you know, you can still play Mario. And sat down, and I think I beat it in like a half an hour by, you know, because we can all warp the level of 8-1 uh, pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So I showed him, I was like, hey, look at that. You yeah. want to keep playing, it's right here on our, like you said, it's right there on the Switch online. Mm-hmm. And it's very nice, too, that, like, whether you played the game, uh, the original, like, Mario Brothers, for example, on the NES one or on the Super Nintendo one, it's nice that you can still, like, even with the NES one, you can create a save point at the very beginning of World 8. Like, you just have to, you make, like, um, kind of like with an emulator where you would make a save state. It's pretty much like that. So even if you end up losing all your lives, it's like, oh, I got to go back all the way to World 1. You can just click on that and boop, there you go. You're back to World 8. Because that was, um, you bringing that up, Platy. That was one of the biggest reasons, too, why I just could not beat this game when I was younger and before, like, 2010. Because you get to World 8, and when you don't have that much experience with the game, it can really kind of kick your ass. (laughs) (laughs) World World 8 is definitely not going to pull its punches. Because I remember when playing this on Christmas, like, one of my older cousins who was uh, visiting at the time at my grandma's when we were uh, there for Christmas Day, he was trying to show me, you know, some tricks to get through World 8 and be like, oh, you know, if you can take this Warp Piper... Uh, if you want to get past like these Hammer Brothers, you know, here's where you can grab a mushroom, and then if you go a little further, here's where you can grab a Fire Flower. You know, trying to show me that, and it was like, oh, okay. So it, it's it's cool that you know, like even um, like newer generations or you know younger kids, whatever, you, however you want to word it, that they can still learn about this game. And because I remember when even like that after playing it and learning it about from my older cousin, it was really cool. And I'm sure with your kids, it was probably you know sort of the same thing. Like seeing the warp zones, and being like, oh, that's cool. You can. You know, jump ahead a few levels. You can jump ahead mm-hmm. a few worlds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and Mario, what is it? Mario 35 got a lot of people playing that game. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Well, uh, you ran right through my transition uh, for <laughs> your other game. So, you know, con- congrats. I'll, I'll set you up uh, maybe a little bit more explicitly next time. But <laughs> someone who's uh, ready to run through his uh, own transition because I got nothing else to go with right there. We're going to go to uh, Pendy and uh, the game that you want to talk about your run through. Yes, it is time to solve a mystery. It's time for Shadowrun. And uh, this is actually right from the opening screen of the game. Let me bring it up here. Gives a nice little uh, intro to the game. The year is 2050, and the Megaplexes are monsters casting long shadows. When you become a Shadowrunner, that's where you live, in the cracks between the giant corporate structures. The Megacorps are powerful in a time when power means information. Computer information flowing in the global network called the Matrix. Dun, dun, dun. <sighs> in Shadowrun, 
You start off in the game, in the morgue, presumed dead. Of course, you aren't really dead, but you wake up not knowing how you got there or even who you are. You have to piece together the mystery in this dystopian cyberpunk action RPG adventure. Uh, you will use various guns and spells to fight your way through various monsters and gang members. You can hire up to three Shadowrunners, mercenaries for hire, that's what Shadowrunners are, to help you along the way. The game is based off a tabletop game of the same name, Shadowrun, and the story is loosely based off a novel by the tabletop game's creator. The Super Nintendo game first came out in North America in May of 1993, followed by a European release in August of 1993, and finally a Japanese release in March of 94. It was developed by an <clears throat> it was developed by the Australian company Beam Software. To move the story along, you had to talk to various NPCs and find clues with a dialogue tree system. You would collect keywords that you could ask about to various NPCs and unlock more dialogue op options. At certain points in the game, you'll need to enter cyberspace, which is called the Matrix. That's what the Matrix is in this game world. The game switches between its default isometric perspective to a top-down perspective, where an avatar of yourself will explore the Matrix and fight intrusion programs as you gather data and money. The game was a critical success, winning many awards of its day, but unfortunately, at the time, it was a commercial failure. Uh, a lot of retrospective reviews label it as a game that was ahead of its time, and it now has a strong cult following. Uh, there are so many RPGs that are all swords and sorcerers and medieval-type setting. Uh, so to have a, an RPG in a futuristic cyberpunk setting was, and still is to this day, a refreshing change from the norm. Uh, the game features a cursor system to search for items and to fire your weapon. That can be a bit clunky at times, especially since this involves using a, a controller. Uh, and it can also be a bit grindy when it comes to getting money sometimes. But other than that, the game's story and various gameplay elements are very enjoyable. I'd recommend this game to anyone that's looking into a little variety into their RPG diet. It's a very fun game. So it was an RPG? Oh, yeah. It's an action RPG. Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah, you, actually, you say the shooting and... Yeah. Yeah, you, 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 uh, you fight with a gun, but you level up and you have different skills that you level up as you go along. It, it's definitely a... A basic uh, action RPG. It's very fun. Hmm. I, I assume that this game is the, is the precursor to Cyberpunk 2077, right? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Cyberpunk 93. <laughs> I'm sorry. When you were talking about how, like, you know, this is a, like a Cyberpunk themed game, that immediately popped in my head. It's like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's it's a game like that, but only done right. <laughs> okay. Oh, <laughs> zing! <laughs> Doesn't take much for that. It's actually finished. <laughs> and what's what's funny is that there's a uh, a Sega Genesis uh, game also called Shadowrun, also based off the uh, the tabletop RPG, but it's a completely different story and uh, almost a completely different uh, game system. It was actually developed by a different company, so they did. Like you've got two versions of the game, uh, so you can uh, you can try either one and see what you like. But was it released in '93? I believe so. I believe it was. Oh, released, oh okay. uh, at least around the same time. So if it's action RPG than Pende, maybe you said it. I just missed it. But if it's action RPG, is it more like um, like Secret of Mana action RPG, like where you like move your characters around, attack, or is it more of um, kind of like well, you know. They, 
hit or miss depending on what you have to talk to people but it's more like zelda where like you just run around like you slash stuff and you get you pick up hearts to heal yourself like what's it what would you say it's more stylized like like gameplay combat wise it's actually it's so you you uh you run around with a gun to shoot people so you have like this little cursor and you Mm -hmm. point the cursor at the various bad guys and you shoot your gun or you can uh choose spells to point the cursor and do your various spells at people so the gameplay is kind of like that and then as you're as you're going along, uh, as you kill kill people and monsters, they'll drop money. Uh, you'll, you'll earn uh, karma points, which is what you use to level up your various different skills and uh, things of that nature. Hmm. It almost sounds like with the the um, point and, like the, well, not point and click, but you know you have the little cursor on the screen as you move around. It almost reminds me of some of those. Oh, what's the game I'm thinking of? There's a Super Nintendo game where it's, you play as cowboys and like you run around and you have a cursor that you move around on the screen and that's where like wherever it aimed at you shoot your gun then. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, and I, I take that back. The Sega Genesis game actually came out in ninety four. I just Googled myself. I like all right, it. I'll cut I'll cut that whole part out of the podcast, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's a, that's a, a side quest tradition of me spouting out incorrect facts, so that's that's, that's okay. <laughs> It up. Keeping it up. This All whole right. segment, you're in the podcast, and just you'll, they'll, they'll expect you not to listen to catch it. <laughs> oh, it's Wild Guns, uh, Pendy. That's the one I was talking about. Gotcha, it gotcha. came out by Natsumi in uh, 1994, and that's one where like you run around as a cowboy, and the screen has like a like a a, cru- a, cru- a cruiser of sorts or a cursor. Excuse me. Yeah, there's a cruiser running around too. There's a cursor <laughs> that you use to point around and shoot at your enemies as you play around on the stages. So when you were talking about that, it ma- instantly made me think of that game. <laughs> and I thought it was interesting in this game. Um, I don't know if it has any real consequence to it, but you can just uh, shoot pretty much anybody, anybody, and, and take them out, even if they're just like a random NPC that might be able to give you information. You can just take pretty much anybody out. Kind of like that uh, was it EverQuest, I think, that you can do that, where you can pretty much attack anybody. So uh, if, cert- if they're a key character, they won't die, and they'll just give you they'll give you like a little warning shot uh, saying like, hey, you shouldn't kill people that are not trying to harm you. But if it's like some kind of like un- unimportant random NPC, you can just gun them down and, and do whatever. You don't, you don't actually get anything from them. You only get like uh, experience points and money from actually shooting the bad guys. But it was very interesting. So no, like shooting grandma, being like ten points, ten points. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that that is definitely a game I've never heard of. I guess I'm not part of all the cults that uh, Pendy is part of. No, you're not. You're not part of the the cool people cult. I'm sorry. Oh, I've never been accused of that one. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, someone who obviously must be because looking at his uh, lineup of games, it's like tentpole, tentpole, tentpole. Brother Jaber, we're going to come back to you to talk about another game from your obscure list. Uh, obscure, he says. I'm about to start <laughs> talking about Jump and Shoot, man, and he says I'm obscure. You just never played games, Platt. I'm pretty sure you just didn't. You just missed the 90s decade entirely, okay? <laughs> I mean, I remember staying up all night one time to play Mega Man 2. <laughs> and I think that's well, the only game, Mega Man I've ever played. <laughs> well, this game came out much later than Mega Man 2. This game out came out right around the same time Mega Man 6 did, so yeah, you definitely missed this one. Uh, <laughs> this one is Mega Man X, the first big yeah. par- another another big paradigm shift in um oh, yeah. in a video game franchise. Adventure Adventure expanded for Kirby, so Mega Man X expands the Mega Man series. This is Mega Man for the 90s. You may remember the little blue bot who kept running around shooting other robots. Well, this is the little blue bot who shoots even bigger, nastier robots. 
Um, Mega Man X was a big paradigm shift. Uh, very, actually, very typical of the 90s. M- much edgier, um, entirely different aesthetic, more futuristic, um, more action-oriented. Um, not, not quite as slow and precise as the original classic games were, but X was very technical in a sense that the original Mega Man was, wasn't. Uh, you had all these new abilities you had to orient. You had dashing. You had climbing. You had uh, power moves that could be powered up over time. Uh, that you you had upgrades that would manipulate how literally all your moves work at the same time. And unlike the regular game, the unlike the classic Mega Man game where you get some fancy projectile usually or something very simple, once you started charging up attacks in Mega Man X, you would get these screen filling, uh, flashy anime finishing moves that would destroy everything around you. It was it was a it was a big big change uh for the blue bomber back in the day uh, has anybody here ever played uh any x games not just the first one but any of them in particular well i only played the first one to uh well i've, I've played i've played some of the others but the first one is the one that i i played the most of and uh really that's the only one i knew about when i was a kid and found out later on that there was all these sequels oh yeah I, I got on board the Mega Man train about a di- uh, later in life uh, with the Battle Network series, but X is really one of the seminal influences there. Um, X X starts a whole. X gives us the timeline for Mega Man instead of just a bunch of games with Mega Man chasing Doctor Wily. We have Mega Man of the Future dealing with all the problems Wily's caused. Um, we have uh, di- we have. Um, Battle Network was actually a divergent timeline for the same uh, time, um, and it was for the, it was that was Mega Man based in the new aughts for the uh, for uh, the Internet age. But they did have some very key influences from X, the X series. Um, X gave us, for example, navigators um, who would run who would, who were in the, in the lore essentially characters who would run missions. Uh, for you and direct you where to go. It's the people you who would um, give you your assignments, and that became a big part of Battle Network. There were actually Battle Network characters based directly off of X characters, um, including in one of the Gaiden games, Zero. Uh, Zero was a big addition for the X game too. Um, according to, uh, in developer chat, has indicated that uh, the character known. At today is zero who unlike classic mega man or mega man x is bright red has the long ponytail and famously wields a sword instead of a cannon on his arm uh we know from keiji inafune himself that zero was originally supposed to be the new main character for the x series but developers said that's cool but he looks way too different fans may not like that so we're going to come up with an entire we're going to come up with an entirely different character to be the main and that gave us Mega Man X who very who closely resembles the original and KG Inafune said yeah okay sure uh, I'm going to put Zero in anyway and if he can't be the main he's going to be the coolest character in the entire series and he was <laughs> yeah, yeah I've played uh, I've played the Zero series yeah, I was going oh, to say, yeah, it became that fan favorite, and uh, yeah, they came up with the Zero series after that. He gets all the cool scenes, he gets the sword, he gets the hair. Yeah, yeah, he <laughs> he got a lot, Zero got a lot of um, spotlight from the developers. Yeah, yeah uh, it's, cool. it's 
Go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, as cool as uh, Zero is, like the, just the overall series uh, of Mega Man X games are very good. And like I remember playing the first one, and just that first level is very dynamic and brings brings you in, and it's a, a good opener to the whole game. And that whole series is a lot of fun. They, they, they definitely uh, refreshed the series in a way that uh, was very good, very fun. Yeah, Highway Stage, like... It has the best uh, track soundtrack in the whole game, in my opinion, of the first one. Oh, uh, yeah. The opening music. Oh, that uh, you you talking about how it refreshed the series? It actually really did. It w- that was really important for the series because we were hitting the same year Mega Man Six came out, and Mega Man Six had gotten and classic Mega Man had gotten um, distinctly into a bit of a rut as this time had gone on. I mean, they were all good games, but they were all very, very similar. You you have eight bosses, you run through a stage, you fight the boss, then you take on the final villain, you go through his stages, you fight the bosses all over again in the final boss. And And it had gotten into a rut because the stories and the final villain all turned out to be very, very similar. So instead of fighting Dr. Wily directly, you were fighting... Dr. Cossack. And why are you fighting Dr. in uh, Mega Man 4? And why are you fighting Dr. Cossack in Mega Man 4? Because his daughter was kidnapped by Dr. Wily. Um, in Mega Man 5, you're fighting Proto Man. Why are you fighting Proto Man? Because it's not really Proto Man. You're fighting Dark Man, who's working for Dr. Wily. Uh, um, Mega Man 6, who's. <laughs> Well, robots from around the world have been kidnapped and reprogrammed by Mr. X. And Mr. X looks an awful lot like Dr. Wily. And why has Mr. X done this? Well, guess what? Not only does he look like Dr. Wily, he is Dr. Wily. And so <laughs> you had a second trilogy of games where it was not just, <laughs> it was not Dr. Wily, but actually Dr. Wily. And so <laughs> we had hit a second phase of rut. Uh, for the classic series that it would have trouble breaking out of. It would not... Um, so the X series actually breathed a lot of life into Mega Man at this time because <laughs> there were there were fingerprints of Dr. Wily and X, but very, very small. And it was not, in fact, Dr. Wily this time. In fact, that may have actually saved the series, giving us a game where it was not, in fact, Dr. Wily. <laughs> well, now I don't have to play all these original games because you just spoiled everything for me. You're welcome. Yep. Thanks. <laughs> 30 years of not playing them now has been well justified. We need a side-by-side comparison in the video of this of Dr. <laughs> of Mr. X and Dr. Wily just so you guys can see he <laughs> so the viewers at home can take a look at this if they find the YouTube video. I still remember uh getting this game. We my uh, mom would would take me to a pawn shop a lot or to several different pawn shops for like video games and stuff back in the SNES days uh, to get them cheap. And I just remember the guy who worked there asking us if we'd heard of it. And I was like, no. And he said, oh, you haven't heard of Mega Man? And he popped it in. And I played like a few minutes of the opening level and then we, we took it home. And I don't know why that just sticks in my head. But uh, and you mentioned, I think back in the, um, or maybe it was me back in the, uh, uh, the episode we did on Battle Network, and uh, you mentioned how much of a departure it was, and from from the games that came before it. And I was like, yeah, when I first got the Battle Network games, I was I popped it in my Game Boy. It's like this isn't Mega Man X, and that's because uh, Mega Man X was pretty much like all I knew of of the character, and that's still in my head when I hear the the name Mega Man. That's the this is the game I think of. 
Yeah, nice. this, um, that first level was probably actually a good way to get you in to help you uh, get a stepping stone into the game. The first level is actually lauded, um, I understand, for, by uh, designers as actually a very good bit of opening, opening um, gameplay design, teaching you how to do all the things you need to do, how to interact with the stage, how to shoot things, how to how to jump and shoot things. Um, e- Internet personality Ego Raptor. Uh, who you probably may know under the name of Aaron of Game Grumps, did a whole segment on why the game design from Mega Man X was actually very good. And if you've got the stomach for the swearing, go and see it. it it's <laughs> there's a lot. It's Ego Raptor. There's a lot of swearing, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, it actually goes into quite a lot of detail about how this all works and how why it's such a why it's such a good design. So if you are a design aficionado, go and check it out. Nice. Well, you know, this is a perfect transition to talk about my second game, because if you want to talk about a game that was beautifully designed and, you know, screw Yangus's Super Mario All-Stars, which uh, I was trying to set up for later in the episode so I could come in right behind it with my awesome Mario game, the real treat of 1993. Don't care that it was maybe not the same month that Yangus came into the world. But, you know, it could have been. Oh, Mario Math Blaster. (laughs) You mentioned Math Blaster earlier, and I swear I remember installing Math Blaster um, years later, when it like 2002, 2003, um, about a couple years into my teaching career. I was also our tech person at school, walking around with floppy disks, 3.5 inch disks, installing stuff everywhere. And even then, I remember we were still playing Math Blaster. Oh yeah, Math Blaster that. was Math Blaster. It came out in '93, but it got very big. I think around the turn of the millennium, it was everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in um, an elementary school, it was like the game to go to. And so we'd have teachers set us sit us for time in the computer room, and we'd be all sitting in front of computers, and we'd have to do something. And I would play Math Blaster. Yep, I would play oh, it on, yeah, and... on the hardest difficulty, but you know, give myself <laughs> something to do, teach myself negative numbers. Oh, well, if we're talking negative numbers, I mean, that's like the difference between A.D. and B.C. And if we're talking about time like that, we must be talking about the best Mario game ever, Mario's Time Machine. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. Yeah, Look at that. That was an even better transition. I should have just (laughs) let you start that one. So, wow. Mario's Time Machine. I I, I don't even know how to go into this. Um, The only thing I can think of... I was trying to look up some different stuff, but uh, I think this was Nintendo trying to capitalize on where in the world is Carmen Sandiego. Um, They basically made Where in Time is Mario. And this kind of rings of... There was laws back in the 80s and 90s that broadcast television had to have a certain amount of educational television Mm -hmm. online every week. And so early Saturday morning cartoons or early Sunday morning program usually ran some, you know, faux educational kind of stuff. Um, Stuff nowadays you might find on PBS or whatever. But wow, Mario's Time Machine. That was an interesting educational game. Um, I'd never heard of this until about three weeks ago. 
Um, <laughs> when looking at the list, I was like, what the hell is this abomination? And of course, I was like, no, this has got to be one of my games that I talk about. I'm totally playing through this. And I did. I played about through half of it. Um, it's not too hard. Um, if, especially if you have a little experience with history. It's, I don't think this was exactly intended for 40-year-olds to play. Um, God, I don't know who the freaking target audience for this would have been. Um, but basically, you're Mario. And it looks like they just stuck Mario into a early 90s PC game. Because... You're walking around with Mario and you can jump and you can dash and go fast, but it's almost like Mario's your cursor in a point and click adventure. It's there's nothing to it that other than that um, you start off and talking about like uh, having an instruction manual. I had no clue what I was doing when I started this. I'm like, I don't even like the game just starts and Mario's in a room with four or five pedestals and stuff on top of the pedestal. And I'm like, OK. There's, there's a pedestal with an apple, pedestal with a piece of paper. Like I go over and I just hit the uh, six buttons until eventually, oh, I picked up the uh, Declaration of Independence. What the heck do I do with this? And uh, pressing the R button, all of a sudden a parchment comes up and it's like Philadelphia, 1976 or 1776. And then it reads like a Mad Libs, like they took some historical thing and made it a Mad Libs. It's like, oh, in the summer of 1776, the blank met in the city of Philadelphia to write the blank, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da, Thomas Blank was here, who was once described as a statesman, a blank, a blank, and a this, and it just, it's, you hit R again, and there's two whole pages of stuff to read, but there's about ten different blanks in there. And like, what the heck do you do with all these blanks? Well, uh, pressing a bunch of buttons, all of a sudden this like time machine pops up on the screen and I can scroll through different cities and I can scroll through different years in um, BC or AD. So I selected Philadelphia 1776 and ta-da, there's Mario in, like I said, early 90s, like background that's supposed to be Philadelphia and I can walk and I can go inside the inn and I can go inside Ben Franklin's newspaper office and I can go inside like a pub or something and in each one there's like two different questions I can ask or I think one was a question I could ask the other one's like give them the declaration of independence um if you try giving the declaration of independence they're like oh maybe you should hold on to that but basically you just start interviewing Ben Franklin and I mean there's not like any choices other than to just keep pressing a a a keep asking him all these questions he tells you a bunch of the history about what's going on that week he's like oh i'm writing a newspaper guess what's going on you know the continental congress is here and you know thomas jefferson's supposed to be writing something for us today i get a, i better get over there i hear they need uh my signature along with john hancock and da 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 da, da. and through reading this you get the answers to what goes in the blanks so you go to these three locations you talk to these people um and when you go back into that menu if you click on one of the blanks it brings up a bank of like 50 different words and you got to scroll through all these different words um if you pick the right one that goes in the blank nothing really happens it just it goes back to the screen so you can go to the next blank. If you pick the wrong one, you get a little frowny face at the top. If you do it three times, it boots you out of that parchment. Doesn't really matter. No real 
nothing lost. You just press R again and you're right back into it. So basically the whole premise is fill up all the correct information in this thing. Then you go to a fourth building, which is where Thomas Jefferson is. You hand him the Declaration of Independence. He's like, oh, thanks, Mario. I almost forgot that. Our country owes you a debt of gratitude. And then it, you get some bonus points, depending on how fast you go. And you head back to your time. And, hey, there's another pedestal. So grab an apple. Go see uh, Sir Isaac Newton. Grab a shield. Go talk to Joan of Arc. Um, and this just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat over and over again. Uh, presumably Bowser's at the end of it. I was watch, trying to watch some things at the end. I'm like, I'm not playing all the way through this. And one of the playthroughs I saw, I guess the person didn't do it in enough time. And like Bowser's just sitting on the speech like, ha ha ha, you didn't finish in time. So, you know, great time pun there. Um, other than just all this weird using Mario as a cursor for a point and click educational game, um, they did add some little action aspect into it. I forgot this. When you pick to go to Philadelphia, 1776, um, if you were to pick a different year, if you were to like to pick um, Philadelphia, 1775, um, or, or I don't think anything happens, either that or you go to the mini game and that fails. But either way, when you pick a year and a time, you go to this mini game. And of course, it's a perfectly rational mini game that you would expect in a time machine game. You're Mario and you're like on a jet ski or a surfboard or something. It, it kind of looks like he's water skiing, but there's no boat. <laughs> you're just Mario in water randomly. And the only you see like an island in the distance, but only three things ever appear. No matter how many times you turn around, no matter how fast you go, whatever, there are mushrooms there are little spikes in the water and there are whirlpools and i'm like i i don't know what i'm doing here again no didn't read any directions i'm like uh, okay there is a little thing at the top that shows like 10 uh empty outlines of mushrooms so through some trial and error of getting a mushroom hitting a spike losing that going in the whirlpool and being spit back out in the time machine room uh, I eventually figured out that you need to get 10 mushrooms without hitting the spikes. And once I did that, I spent like five minutes just water skiing. Like, OK, now what? I got 10 mushrooms. Why am I not going anywhere? Yeah. More time spent wasted doing this. I find out I need to go into the whirlpool because, you know, that makes sense. That's what you need to do to go back in time. You need to get 10 mushrooms and dive in a whirlpool. Once in the whirlpool, then you end up in Philadelphia or where Joan of Arc is, or Isaac Newton's age, or whatever. And that's it. You're just doing this over and over and over again, going to different historical areas. Um, it so you was did just, it. I did it. But in the wrong order. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently I did, because I was reading up later, and it was like, oh, you, you're really supposed to start with Isaac Newton. Um, you get the better ending that way, or something like, better ending? What the heck? Don't tell me this thing's had different endings. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's a bizarre game that it feels like Nintendo got hit with a lawsuit that said, you better come up with something educational. And you better well, here, here's the here's the thing, Platty. So when you look up these games, like these Mario edutainment games, they're just licensed by Nintendo. They had nothing to do with these ones. They had no hands-on approach with them at all. It's companies ah. like the Software Toolworks and Radical Entertainment that made them. Nintendo just licensed the characters. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. There was no Mario. Like, literally, other than the sprite of Mario, a little spike in the water that looked like, uh, you know, the little guys that get thrown, and a mushroom, there was nothing Mario to this game. 
Mm. It could have been a point and click thing on a PC, but they made Mario the point and click and some stupid jet ski, water ski, whatever to throw looking it in it up, there. Looking it up, Platy, there is an MS-DOS version of the game. I don't doubt it. There is, and that one, I think, has slightly different sprites. The only thing that was really borrowed was a handful of, like, the uh, Mario World sprites for some of the main characters. Ooh, and if I you will... were in 1996, you could get the Microsoft Windows version. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> what well, apparently there was upgrade also that was. version that came out in 1994. So, hey, there you go. I remember renting this game on the Super Nintendo. I remember not really knowing how to progress. <laughs> I, I love reading YouTube comments for this. People were like, I just jet skied for hours. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I was six years old. All I did was jet ski. I had I couldn't read. I didn't know. It's Mario jet ski. That's all it is. I specifically remember the jet seeing, so I'm, I'm sure I got stuck. <laughs> I never actually played these games. Um, I remember seeing, I think, Mario is Missing for this. Uh, was, was Did that have this uh, SNES release, too? I forget. Yes, I recall, it did. Okay. I recall seeing them like in SNES boxes, and I was like, those look really, really cool, because I was not the most discerning you know, <laughs> four-year-old. Um, I was like, those look really cool. Never played them. And now that I'm adult i go you know it's probably for the best <laughs> although no, uh the let me see game, this the was game, for the best mario is missing gave us uh ouija it gave us uh the immortal ouija meme did it also like come to the uh i thought i read somewhere because i was looking at all these different things did this maybe indirectly lead to uh luigi's mansion um i don't know if it did i haven't i've never heard anybody say that it very well could yeah. have been some sort of weird inspirational way or maybe they were like you know we could do that but better i don't know why did i not play this game mario's missing is another 93 game <laughs> well there you go we're gonna have to do a 93 part two 93 mario has, Mar you'll, you'll have to do a 93 in mario because mario's got like eight <laughs> or six, seven or eight games that came out this year they're like all spin-off titles mario kart uh super mario kart mario versus i uh, was it mario versus wario i think i think that was the one uh, there are like six or seven different titles that came out this year, and you just like touched two. <laughs> yeah, Mario. Uh, only, no, Super Mario Kart. That was nineteen ninety two. That was that was a ninety three. Oh, that's right. It came. It um. It got very popular in ninety three. It was. I keep. I we had a little mismatch. We had a. I had a bit of a mess up. Uh, preparing for this episode, which Yangus very correct, uh, very patiently corrected me over and over again about. Because <laughs> when I looked up video games in nineteen ninety three, I mistakenly went to the video games in 1993 article on wikipedia and that gave me games that were popular in 93 but not when they had come out and so my first handful of games yangus told me goes that's that came out in 1992 that came out in 1992 none of these games are from 1993 i go okay fine i'll go find something else but there are quite a few side games from 1993 for Mario, so you absolutely could do another side quest. <laughs> a pure Mario. Just on 93 Mario. Just yep. on 93 Mario. You got Yoshi's Cookie, Yoshi's Safari, Mario versus Wario. There's a lot of stuff that came out this year. Okay, so apparently Mario's missing. The, the link to Luigi's Mansion is just that this game starred Luigi, and which wouldn't happen again. Mm -hmm. Until the Wheezy Mansion games. Until yeah. the Wheezy Mansion. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's Louisiana Mansion. <laughs>
Where all the oh, ghosts boy. have a thick accent. No, Luigi's Mansion was actually kind of an accident. I recall this because um, I had the guide for Luigi's Mansion ages ago. Um, mm-hmm. That one was mostly an accident because they wanted to put together, to show off the GameCube and what it could do, they wanted to put together a 3D exploration game. And so they started basically with a ninja uh, castle, and then they tried to make that, if I recall correctly, more available to uh, international audiences. They transitioned into a dollhouse setting, and then they said, okay, we've got our dollhouse, we've got our haunted exploration, let's make it haunted. And how are we going to do Oh, let's give Luigi something to do, because we kind of threw him into the wastebasket for the latter half of the 90s. And so let's give him something to do. And so that's how we got the Luigi in Luigi's Mansion. <laughs> I only played the third one, and uh, now I kind of want to go back and play the other two. I think they're both on the they're both ported to the 3DS. So yeah, they're both on there. I'd I'd recommend the first one for sure. Hmm. Poor Weechi, the 64 kicked him to the curb. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well we got a couple more Um, now. Now, Yangus will maybe listen to me. I got no transition here. We just spent all this time talking about Mario. So, you know what, Yangus? Talk about Doom. Yeah, I figure that's a good <laughs> way since I was getting demonized for saying when stuff came out in 92 instead of 93. So, Dude, uh, I, I guess I'm from hell. There. Like a Are lot of going into space from again? Doom. Are we going into space? <laughs> this, was, this was a very spacey year for, for games, I think. Mm. Yeah, sci-fi was big in the 90s, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, so for my game, I decided for my other game to pick, uh, Doom, uh, the original Doom from 1993, uh, was created by id Software and it's pretty much one of the most influential games of all time. And, um, like, uh, Oss was talking about with Mist, how that game has been ported over just about everything. Doom has also been ported to just about everything. Like people have even gotten it working on, um, uh, like those Texas instrument uh, calculators, like like the first level, they've gotten the whole thing put into one of those. It's crazy. Um, so the plot for Doom, pretty simple. Uh, you're, you are a lone survivor on a Mars moon base, and you have to fight your way through the demons of hell, uh, eventually ending up in hell itself and taking the demons down on their home turf. The game's pretty easy to learn and play. Um, you just have to worry about moving around. You turn left and right. You can straight, and you just have to point, click, and shoot. You don't have to worry about like with, like later FPS where you have to like move up and down. With, like like where you'd have to use like your right stick to aim all over the place and your left stick to move. This one you just got to worry about moving around. You know, turn and make sure you're facing the enemy, and then bam, you shoot them. I did appreciate that when playing this because I really don't play FPS games all that much. Like the few that I have are just like. The- uh, Team Fortress 2 back when I was in college, uh, GoldenEye on the N64 and on the Nintendo Wii, uh, the Metroid Prime games, uh, a little bit of Bioshock. Really, it's not a genre that I'm interested in, but Doom was always one I wanted to try out in some fashion because of the more fast-paced action-y gameplay. Uh, and after playing uh, a little bit of Doom 2016, I was like, hey, I really want to cho- go back and check out the original two. Thankfully, it's on the Switch. Like, you usually find it on sale for like $2. Anyway, so Doom is pretty easy to learn. Can be a Did you play it on your refrigerator? Because... What? Did you play it on your refrigerator? No, but I would love to see the fridge that can play it because I have heard about that one too. <laughs> <laughs> but, um,. Uh, Doom, luckily, is, like I said, pretty easy to learn. Uh, can be hard to master because it can get pretty difficult, especially depending on what setting you pick for uh, the difficulty-wise and what levels you're playing on. But thankfully, you do have a lot of different weapons that you can use, uh, including chainsaws. You can get booster shots, which make you kill enemies in one punch. Uh, there's the shotgun, a plasma gun. There is a rocket launcher you can get. 
you have your standard handgun, and you get the infamous BFG, or the big fucking gun, which can just <laughs> one-shot kill just about everything in the game. And if you come across any of the big boss monsters like the Cyber Demon or the Spider Tank, all it takes is about like two or three shots from that one, good clean hits, they're dead. There's... When I was playing this game, I, the first time I played it was uh, late last year when it was on sale. I picked it up for, like I said, $2, and I've slowly made my way through it. It's a good game to just like play a few, uh, play a few levels, put it aside, play a few levels, put it aside. And surprisingly, when I played it, I was really taken back by how many secrets there are per level. Like, There's a ton you can find. There's secret doors you can open by hitting uh, the right enemies. Uh, you can end up stepping on to just like the right part of a map or a room, and it can open up a secret door somewhere for you. Uh, you do have a little mini map you can check too to kind of like figure out where some of these areas might be at. Or you have windows you can look through and be like, well, that's weird. There's a weapon out there, but I can't seem to find a way. And my favorite way that I always found them was if you walked against certain walls, and if you noticed a wall was like a little bit off, you could push the action button, and hey, it opens up a secret door for you. So you can go in and collect, you know, some uh, refills on ammo. You can collect. Uh, any weapons you might have lost if you if you died uh, during a level or in some cases you can open a secret room and there's like really powerful invisible enemies in there that'll come after you as soon as you open the door <laughs> you never know what you're gonna get but I, I did like that this game had a ton of secrets to it to discover and it's been fun uh revisiting some of the early levels and like either trying it on a new difficulty or just uh seeing if i can you know like put it down in the easiest setting you know, just get rid of all the enemies and like try, try and explore around and see like if there's any sort of secret buttons or walls that you can open up stuff to get to new little areas. Uh, this, like I said before, these, the game can get uh, pretty difficult. Uh, like the settings are all pretty much the game like being like, oh, you know, make this hard as hell or, you know, let me feel pain plenty or don't hurt me, please. Like the, that's one of the easiest settings is like, don't hurt me. <laughs> um, but so this game did have a nice little sense of humor to it. And even with the story, too, like you really only see like a bit of story text at the very end once you've beaten a chapter. And the game's just like, oh, you know, things, you know, they went to hell. You got to, you know, got to fight your way through all this madness. Or, oh, you, you know, you thought you were going to escape. But, oh, it turns out it was just a trap by the demons. And probably my favorite bit of that for this bit of humor that the game has is when you beat the game itself. So you defeat the the spider demon or the spider tank monster. It says, oh, you've defeated the leader of hell. All the demons, you know, run back in fear from you, and you're able to escape no problem. Hopefully things are fine in the real world. Well, then it cuts to an ending screen with what looks like a sunset. There's some rabbits in a, in a green field. Everything looks all peaceful. There's some happy music playing. Camera slowly pans over. There's a city on fire. Uh, said rabbit's head is on a stake, and it shows the city is starting to be overrun by demons. And the last thing you see is the end fly onto the screen with, like, different gun sound effects going off in the background. So, perfect oh. way to set up a possible sequel. <laughs> Which, with how successful Doom ended up being, it very much got that sequel. And it received, like we said, or like I said a little bit ago, received a ton of ports. If you have any sort of game console or computer, or you know you have a really good Texas Instrument calculator, you can play Doom in some fashion. <laughs> but um, I really enjoyed playing through this uh, one because even though I'm not really big on FPS games, it was cool to see you know what game really helped influence um, FPS, the FPS genre. It's a good game. Uh, if you're just looking for some like quick action type gameplay, uh, you don't have to worry about too much about thinking about too many things. It's fun to explore the levels, and I really enjoyed, um, you know, this. I don't know if it was originally MS DOS or what specific uh, PC hardware this was originally intended for, but I really enjoy how it has sort of that hard rock um, early computer sound 
mix going for it. It's really cool because, I mean, you have the iconic Doom uh, main theme from the first level with the opening cards. You know, it's as soon as you hear it, it's like, oh, that's Doom. And the rest of the soundtrack does a really good job of fitting the mood as well, whether it works in, you know, more rock sounds or more like uh, ambient, ominous sounds as you get a little further into the game, get into hell and everything like that. So there's actually a lot of really good details to this game, and I've, I've really enjoyed playing through it. Definitely sometimes where I was like, oh, this is super annoying, super frustrating, especially against the cyber demon with its um, super powerful rocket launcher. It can shoot at you. But I think this is a really good uh, game, even to this day. And I, it's, I can see why it's been ported to so many systems and why so many people, you know, hold it in such high regard. And, you know, like I said, if you have any, like any sort of current system like the Switch PS4, steam you know stuff like that there's plenty of ways to play it it's not too expensive of a game i assume it's about the same price on other consoles about you know five bucks or so a little cheaper with uh any sales so you know check it out if you want to and because before i forget have any of you guys played the original doom or any of the doom games at all yeah yeah i love the whole series uh the, the original is great though yes yeah, i remember playing this uh back in the day i didn't have it myself but I had a, a neighbor friend whose parents would buy them, buy him all the latest video games, including uh, computer games as well. And I remember when I first went over to his house and watched him play this game, I felt like, uh, should I really, should I really be uh, watching this? Because <laughs> it was, it was uh, I was 13 at the time, since it was 93. So I, I know for a fact that my parents never would have bought this kind of game for me. It was just too gory. And it was kind of scary, too. It had, it, it had uh, quite the demonic atmosphere to it. And uh, it was I remember watching it for the first time and being blown away about uh, how, how scary and gory and, and everything it, that it was. It was very interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely like that, too, that, you know, I was wondering when going into it, like, okay, you know, what's this really, like, graphically and stylistically, what's it going to be like? And really, I think the game still really holds up, like, appearance-wise. I really like how the game handles, like, the monster graphics, how, like, you know, the further away you can still make out, like, which each individual monster is supposed to be, or, like, if there's, a like, a human zombie or something like that. You know, you can still make it out, but then the closer you get, you know, you get those more details. It kind of expands the sprite for you. There's there's a lot of really cool little details in this game, and I can imagine, like, back in 93 when people were playing this for the first time, you know, how mind-blowing, like, some of this stuff must have been, you know, seeing it. Or, like, how your reaction was, Pendy, where you're watching, you're like, ooh, I don't know if I should, you know, be watching this sort of thing. Like, this is pretty cr pretty crazy, you know? Yeah. Did you ever have any experiences with this one, Platty or uh, Jay Bird? Either one of you guys? I have not played this. I think Wolfenstein 3D was the uh, last uh, shooter I played, <laughs> which I looked up. That was 91, so can't talk. Yeah, I think Wolfenstein was the precursor game that um, I can't remember their names, unfortunately, but the two big guys from id Software that they worked on. And then they were like, you know what? We can do that, but we can make it bigger and better or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I mean, yeah, Wolfenstein, I just like software. doing that's, you know, that's had a number of sequels in recent years too. Like there's oh, yeah. been Wolfenstein, the new blood or new world, blood, whatever that one's called. So it's, it's cool to see that these series, you know, that were so influential back then that they're still able to have new sequels come out now. And that the people who are still really passionate, you know, about these games, you know, expanding them out and so forth. Like, um, like I think it was you, um, uh, Austin, we had our like favorite games of 2020 episode where you were talking about Doom Eternal and really the way you oh, yeah. were describing everything. It sounds like the people who made that game were pretty passionate about Doom with everything they were putting into it. Yeah, yeah. Doom Eternal's and, and uh, the 2016 
Doom. Uh, both of those games are great. A um, little bit more action-packed than classic Doom, but it's it the, the tone is still there. Yeah, I mean, Wolfenstein and Doom were very iconic for their time and definitely cemented uh, FPS games as a, a popular genre that would just eventually explode into one of the most popular genres in video games. Yeah, I mean, for a time there, they didn't call them first-person shooters. They called them Doom clones. Mm-hmm. That's mm. uh, before the term first-person shooter came about. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yep. Well, I think that uh, final comment, uh, that spells doom for the end of this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> because we've been talking about, you know, such iconic series for a while. Uh, I think we're going to end with uh, Brother Jaybird's last obscure entry that he oh, wanted wait, to I'm talk about again. tonight. <laughs> hey, you put a third one on the list. You're going to get well, called was, on three times. That was a backup. Okay, I can do that. <laughs> it's more robots. It's <laughs> we can do it. Sorry, I interrupted your. Uh, I interrupted your transition. Go ahead. No, that that that's the transition. Go robots. Uh, <laughs> well, it is more robots, and this time there's also cuddly animals. Uh, this one oh. is Sonic CD. Um, one of the early uh, Sonic game titles. It's actually, in some ways, it was actually the second Sonic the Hedgehog title to be released, um, and has a lot of again like kirby's adventure because this is 93 this is early video game history this is the this is where a lot of the prototypes of modern a lot of modern franchises got started we talked about kirby we talked about Mega Man. now we're going to talk about sonic um this game uh features the iconic elements of sonic and dr eggman naturally uh competing to um save or otherwise exploit the world uh, but it also introduces um, two other members of the cast uh, that would be, later become regulars. Uh, Metal Sonic, uh, one of Eggman's go-to uh, top evil robots, and Amy Rose, um, who most people remember as Sonic's uh, would-be girlfriend. And this game is premised on the idea that Eggman has successfully gotten himself a hold of a planet. <laughs> a whole planet, uh, which has uh, mystical artifacts allowing him to manipulate time. And so he's gone back in time using the, uh, using the magical time stones of uh, the little planet. I forget if it was called the Big Little Planet or just Little Planet. No, Big, Big Little Planet, I think, was a later game that came out yes. from an entirely different developer. Um, but it is essentially a big little planet. It's about the size of a moon. Uh, Does it's it have only... jet skis, though? Does it have anything to do with jet skis? Uh, what, big little planet? Might might be. I never actually well, played well, this time this time zone, I mean, that's we've established that 1993, that's how you went forward and backwards in time, jet skiing. Uh, I mean, on Little Big Planet, you could probably make some water jet ski game levels. <laughs> It's very right, much I'll possible stop interrupting the creativity here. tools in those games. No, no, no. Go, go ahead and interrupt me. All. I need I need the sparring. Um, so this was so the premise of this game is that Eggman has taken over a whole planet. Uh, he's harvesting its cosmic artifacts to get himself into the past, so he can harvest the resources of the environment with his robotics. And Sonic has to stop him because if Sonic doesn't, he will end up in a future in which Eggman has ruined the environment through his, through misuse of his robotics. 
um, and technology. And so Sonic's job is to go and basically put a stop to Eggman in the past. And so each level features a different environment which Sonic must navigate, uh, not merely to the end, but into the but secretly into the past in order to get uh, the time stones and put things right. Because if you don't, you go to what we call the bad future, in which Eggman has taken over, the environment is ruined, um, and everything is dark and ugly. And if Sonic successfully collects all the time stones and puts a stop to Eggman's robots, he fixes the past, and thus he unlocks the good future. Um, and that was, and which in which technology is also very prevalent, but is in harmony with nature. Uh, this game has this game has a green theme again with Doctor Eggman, who from the start was always kidnapping animals and stuffing them into robots. Uh, but the problem here isn't the simple isn't the simplistic message of technology ruins nature so much as it is technology ought to work in harmony with nature. Um, and Eggman just doesn't work in harmony with anyone. There's, there's <laughs> so Sonic is out to save the world, and on the way he's out to save um amy rose who was kidnapped by metal sonic and like many sonic games it's got um high speed uh platforming it's got it's got robots to beat um this game was i don't know if i'd call it a bigger hit than sonic 2 so it was weird it came it was technically the second sonic game in development but it came out after sonic 2 did um a rumor, uh, if I understand the story correctly, um, some of the development in Sonic 2 was Sonic. Let's see here. Uh, Sonic CD was going to be to start as a port of Sonic 2, but became a second separate game after Sonic 2 flopped in Japan. Um, Sonic is in a weird spot as a character because he's kind of both influenced by the Japanese and the West. Sega is a mostly Japanese company, but they they do a lot of work in the West more than uh, Nintendo did. And so um, a lot of Sonic's games were actually very, very popular in America and Europe, but not in Japan. Um, so that puts this game in a little in an awkward position where it's helping to assemble Sonic's universe uh, piecemeal. Because this game introduces uh, Amy and Metal Sonic, and Sonic 2 introduces Tails, and then Sonic 3 introduces Knuckles, but that's later. Um, so this include this is the big this is a smaller step up for the Sonic franchise than it would be otherwise by introducing some new characters. Uh, nothing really big, um, but it gives Sonic uh, the uh, quote unquote love interest. Poor Amy. I feel so bad for Amy. She's she's never had very good uh, character writing, and she's always either a, a nothing burger or has some of the worst writing around. I feel so bad for her. Ah, uh, well, you know, you can't all be tails. Uh, let's see. Has anybody else played uh, Sonic CD? Did you say what this came out on? What was this on? This came out on the Sega CD. Okay, so that's why it was Sonic CD. Yeah. Well, we don't have, you know, Sonic Genesis yet, so or Sonic Saturn, but, you know, we have a Sonic CD. Uh, let's see. Um, they actually revamped uh, the boss fight with Metal Sonic in the uh, Sonic Gener- in the game Sonic Generations. They actually had a, a, 
a dedicated remake of that boss fight. That was actually pretty cool. Um, like Son, like all Sonic games, most of Sonic's music is great. Sonic CD has a lot of iconic music. Uh, they actually uh, redid like 80% of the soundtrack for the Western release. So there are two soundtracks that you can go dig up for this game. Both are good. Go help, go help yourselves. Go find them. Enjoy them. Nice. This game actually. Um, <laughs> This game has an actually an interesting bit of trivia that uh, that I found recently. In that, um, in one re- in one version of the game released, I don't know how how uh, well read you guys are in Sonic lore and characters, but in one version of the game um, for the North American release, they didn't call Amy Rose uh, Amy Rose, or her original name back then was Rosie the Rascal. I don't think she actually became Amy Rose until like Sonic Adventure later in the decade. But in the North American release, she was not called Amy Rose or Rosie the Rascal. She was called Princess Sally, uh, which was a name that was reused for Sally Acorn, who became an independent, dedicated character in the Sonic TV series. And then uh, the Sonic, the American Sonic comics uh, by Archie uh, afterwards. Hmm. So I I did not I did not realize that uh, Sally um, was based on well, effectively just derived from an extra name for Amy. That was interesting bit of trivia. But you'd have to you know, you'd have to know and care about Sonic characters a whole lot to care about that. And I totally understand. (laughs) (laughs) I may be alone in this conversation at the moment. Yeah, I'm just not super familiar with Sonic. I've played some of the, I, I played the original a little bit, but I'm not just, I missed out on the Genesis. So, yeah, me okay. too. I, I missed out on a lot until um the GameCube. So don't don't worry too much about that. If you've got the Blue Hedgehog goes fast thing down, you're you're pretty golden yeah. with all of Sonic. <laughs> I think I've watched more Sonic movie than I have played Sonic games. Which movie? <laughs> just the uh, what is it? The first live action blended one. Oh, the one that came out with the road trip movie, Sonic's Road Trip. Is that what that was? I don't know. It was a couple of years ago. It was just like two years ago. That's not the official official name, but that's basically what what the plot was. (laughs) Road Trip. Yeah, it's got James Marsden, Jim Carrey as Dr. Eggman. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it. Who not Dr. Eggman until he becomes Dr. Eggman during the stingers like, hey, you sat through this video. Maybe if you come again to the sequel, we'll have a real Dr. Eggman for you that time. Oh, my gosh. I like how I mean, not, to, not to knock Jim Carrey's acting, but I mean, if you were going choice. to give us Dr. Eggman, could we have a real Dr. Eggman, please? <laughs> so I think that was, uh, it's kind of like an origin story for how Eggman became Eggman, at least in that universe. And I, I like how they set that up. Yeah, it's it's passable. Not not my thing. Just like, just commit to the, con- commit to the premise, okay? You've got a little four, three foot tall hedgehog that goes faster than the speed of sound, okay? Just commit. Eggman doesn't need an origin I mean, story. Well, they gave him one, and they he certainly was <laughs> the real deal by the end of the movie. With the yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying they didn't. I'm just being a stinker. <laughs> <laughs> but they had um, they've had. I I asked in the original because they've had like maybe five or six different animated things with Sonic. Um, I was thinking in particular, there's uh, Sonic the movie from ninety. Six, uh, which is a little animated adventure, an, o- an original video animation OVA from Japan um, that has Sonic and Metal Sonic in it. A lot of a lot of Sonic memes came out of that movie because <laughs> it turns out uh, Sonic and the evil Metal Sonic have a telepathic connection, and this gets in the way during a fight. 
There's one entire, uh, at one point, Sonic tells Metal Sonic, you may know everything I'm going to do, but that won't help you because I know everything you're going to do. Strange, isn't it? Ah, <laughs> uh, so... Are there any other games out there that uh, you guys want to give a 30-second shout-out to as your uh, 1993 uh, honorable mentions? We, well, we, already, I know, we already threw Math Blaster in there, so. I know, <laughs> I know Craft was going to go over uh, one of the Breath of Fire games, and that you never can go wrong with the, with the Breath of Fire series. So I think he was going to go over the second one. Maybe that was the one that came out in 93. But yeah, that was, oh, I think those it was actually all... the beginning one. The, the oh, original. oh okay okay but yeah those are those are pretty those are pretty good those are always fun yeah and the first the first one's on uh yangus that's on the uh nintendo online super or the switch online right yeah both of them are yep i remember playing the first it was good enough to get me to play the second and then i crapped out of that for some reason i don't uh, remember being bad i just remember i think you know i was in the middle of playing it and something that i wanted to play came out yeah if you get a chance if you ever get a chance three and four they really ramp, ramp it up it's uh those are both really good rpg titles so check them out any other honorable mentions well hold up let me get my let me get my video games that came out in 1993 <laughs> tab and we'll go we'll see what's what Cl- close the video I, games that sold a lot in 93 or were popular in 93 no, I, can, I can find video games that came out in 93 i just need a second here <laughs> there were actually a lot. I mean, uh, we we've hit on you know the game that coined the four X term. We've hit uh, Mega Man, Mario, Kirby, Sonic, Doom was the beginning. You know, kind of the origins of uh, first person shooters. We've uh, uh, other than my uh, ill ill thought out Super Mario or Mario's Time Machine game. <laughs> we we've hit a lot of big series tonight. Oh, we did Barrel Roll. Great. Yeah, I was gonna say Star Fox. That's a series, and Mist started this whole, you know, fascination with, uh, like, Oz said, the uh, CD games, computer games, had its own series of games that have been ported a million times. Link's Awakening came out in '93. Oh, there you go. Another, uh, another one with, uh, wasn't that remade last year? A uh, couple, couple years ago. It was 2019. Okay. Gosh, has it been that long? I... <laughs> We're still in the pandemic, man. Oh, still yeah. 2020 in my head. Leisure Suit all Larry together. came out. In the yes, movie. of course. <laughs> I recently played through that entire franchise. Chip Trodeo no Daisaksen 2. Gesundheit. At the Chippendales Rescue Ranger. They had apparently a second Chippendale Rescue Ranger game come out in 1993 in Japan. I guess they love their... Little mammals. Mighty Final Fight. Puyo Puyo came out in 1993. Puyo. Is that a puzzle game? I think that's the one where you have to... Um, no, I'm thinking of Bubble Bobble. It's, it's, it's Puyo Puyo Bubble Bobble. It's a game like kind of like Tetris. Uh, not really, but... Yeah, Puyo those... Puyo, you have to get four in a row of a certain color. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the, uh, the NES port came out in 93. The latest release was Puyo Puyo Tetris 2. Yeah. I've been meaning to get that one. It looks pretty fun. I became a big fan of the Puyo Puyo games like about two years ago. They're pretty fun puzzle games. Hmm. Bubble Bobble Part 2 came out in 1993. How did we forget? Well, you know, it took America by storm. Yes. I mean, if I wasn't too busy playing uh, Mario's Time Machine, I probably would have been all over that. Kirby's Pinball Land came out in 1993. (laughs) Sim oh, 
SimCity 2000? That's seven years early. <laughs> yeah, I, remember, I, th- I think that's the first one I got was SimCity 2000. Uh-oh. Is somebody coming? Uh-oh. Well, maybe we should uh, wrap this up before uh, we get revisited here. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, looking at our chat. All right. I think that's about it for this episode of SideQuest. Thank you, Brother Jaybird. Thank you, Austin Aravar. And thank you, Pandy, for joining us tonight to talk about uh, games that came out in 1993. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun. Matt Kraft may fun. not have been with us tonight, but he or may not have been here to talk with us tonight, but he was here in spirit. So we, it, the Breath of Fire comments were for you, Matt Kraft, if, you if you, whenever you listen to this episode. I'll do a barrel roll for you, Matt Kraft. Yes. <laughs> and Brother we'll Jay Bird picked up Kirby's rolls. Adventure. So we got you covered. All righty. You might have noticed, other than barrel rolls, uh, something that we usually don't talk about on our podcast is Patreon, because we only talk about it when we say we don't use Patreon. We're all just longtime fans of these games from 1993 that we just want to talk about them, um, but you know that you should give them a try, or in, ter- in Mario's time machine, just don't. Just just, just skip it. Um, but if you are so inclined to uh, pull out your wallet, digitally at least, and support something, go on over to the Dragon's Den at www.wudus.com den. Click on support this site there. Wudus has owned and maintained the Dragon's Den fan site for over 20 years. I'm sure he'd appreciate any donation. Or you can use his Amazon affiliate links there. He's got a brand new one right in the dead center of the page. It's not very obtrusive. Just some little text there. Um, he used to just have like links to buy a bunch of Dragon Quest stuff, but now you can use his Amazon affiliate link to buy anything. So, uh, as I keep saying, you know, if you're going to buy a new microwave, buy a new car, buy something uh, large on Amazon, go on over there. I'm sure he'll get like a tenth of a uh, hundredth of a percent. And, you know, your, your new car will get him maybe a coffee's worth of uh, money there, and it won't cost you a thing. Uh, if you have any suggestions for future episodes of SideQuest, we'd be happy to hear from you. You can contact Platty via his Twitter, PlattyM3. You can reach him via the Dragon's Den itself, via personal messages or on the forums, or you can um, contact him through the Dragon's Den Discord run by our friend Barurian. You can also contact me, Yangus the Legendary Bandit, on the Dragon's Den through the same means as Platty, or through the Dragon's Den Discord. Uh, we have a list of ideas that we've come up with for episodes, and if you have any other ideas... We'd be happy to hear from you to add it to the list or to possibly revisit certain topics in the future, depending on the situation. Oh, I'm a little scared to say this. Bye, everyone. Side quest complete. Remember, party like it's 1993. There was no Yoda.